0: Thank you for downloading or streaming this episode of Band Biographies. You can find more episodes at bandbiographies.com. That's B-A-N-N-E-D biographies.com. If you enjoy it, why not leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or whatever service you use to listen to your podcasts? Apparently, it helps get the show up the charts so more people can see it, to download it, and then to leave further five-star reviews. Another way you can help is by telling as many friends as possible to give it a download. Please do reach out on Twitter at BandBiogs, on Instagram at BandBiographies, search on Facebook for BandBiographies, or by emailing BandBiographies at gmail.com. But most of all, enjoy. Hello, and welcome to this BandBiographies interview episode with Paul Brightman of Sham69, Swamp Stomper, and almost Chelsea. This is the first time I've had a musician on, which is very exciting. During our chat, I asked Paul about his introductions to music and playing in bands, juvenile delinquency, politics, both in bands as well as in the wider world, the pros and cons of touring, and his hopes for the future, both with his own project, Swamp Stomper, but more importantly with Sham 69. A quick warning. The first few minutes are spent discussing the effect that COVID-19 has had on Paul, including his own brush with the virus and, very sadly, losing close members of his family. We don't dwell on this issue very long, but if you don't want to listen to that part of the conversation, then skip ahead about five minutes as soon as the episode starts. You can find Sham69 pretty much anywhere, but specifically at officialsham69.com, official Sham69 on Twitter and Instagram and sham69-timv on Facebook. You can find Swamp Stomper on Facebook by searching for Swamp Stomper or typing in facebook.com slash swampstomping as well as on reverbnation.com slash swampstomper. There were some technical issues with this interview. Firstly, Paul's microphone settings were messed up before we started recording and then once he'd sorted them, I couldn't hear him through my desk for a reason I couldn't figure out. So we ended up both using onboard microphones, which is never ideal, but I think I've managed to get it sounding fine. Then, about 20 minutes in, he lost internet connection and his computer automatically updated. These things happen. I'm more than happy with the final product though, and I thank Paul for sticking with it. So without further ado, I give to you guitarist and vocalist with Sham 69 and Swamp Somper, Paul Brightman. Firstly, before we get into the music stuff, I wanted to talk to you about COVID. Obviously, don't want to get into too much detail because I know you've had a pretty shit year because of it, but you're one of only a couple of people that I know that's had it, and certainly you seem to be one of the people who got it worse out of the people that I know who did get it, so if you could just give me and the listeners a little bit of an insight into your experience of the disease, I think, you know, because all of these always start off with how's your year been? But
1: you've actually had
0: it. You know, I don't want to get into your year because your year has been...
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, Well, obviously, yeah, with COVID, we lost mum in May, which was really difficult. With the funerals being so small and what have you, we could only have a few relatives there. And we had to have a memorial service for mum. And we held that on the Sunday. I came back on the following Monday, I got the phone call that my brother had died as well. On his death certificate, it actually says pneumonia, but you can interpret that how you want. But within a week of my mum's memorial service, my brother was dead, so I had to go back up there and sort that out. So it's, it's not been a great year, but with regards to my own experience with COVID, I mean, last gig I played was March the 11th at the New Cross Inn with a band called Swamp Stomper. I don't know if you've heard of them or not. <laughs> but after that, I was ill for about six weeks. And I mean, really ill. I was I was kind of bedridden for about two weeks and oh. I, I felt terrible. Obviously, then the country went into lockdown, but there wasn't mass testing and stuff then. And then what was it? I think it's about a couple of weeks ago I started feeling rough on the Monday night, so I said to Gail, "Let's book a test tomorrow." So we both went down to the walk-in test center. Hers came back negative. She's been positive before, and she was quite ill with it, but not mm. kind of more like a ooh, like a heavy cold rather than anything serious. Mine came back as positive we were on our way to go shopping, which was like the text came through on the phone. It was like, quick, we're not going shopping, turn around, go home. And from the Tuesday for about a week, I felt like I'd been run over by a steamroller. It was awful. It was terrible. Like I couldn't breathe properly. I think I had about a packet of fags lasting me a week. It was that bad. You know what I mean? (laughs) It was bad. Um, But like, fingers crossed, getting through the other side of it now, but it's not pleasant. But... In a way, the, the COVID is, a, is like a double-edged sword because with with the lockdowns and that, we're seeing the positive in people as well as the negative. Obviously, people have lost relatives, people have lost friends, family, and I'm, I'm in no way sort of putting that down or demeaning that. But people are finding different ways to do things. And to me, it feels like a Sunday in the 1970s when everything was closed and... Yeah. You just had a great relaxing day. You sat in the garden. There was no planes going over. There was no sort of, uh, I don't know, the the rivers start to get clear again. And people find different ways of doing things through necessity Mm -hmm. rather than, oh, shit, I've lost my job or, oh, shit, what are we going to do? A lot of people have been in a fortunate position and I know a lot of people haven't have been furloughed and having an income coming in while they sort of start to think, well, how am I going to adapt my life to deal with this? Mm. And a lot of people have come out the better because they've thought, well, I could do this from home. A lot of big companies have now said, well, why are we paying for massive office space while we can get people working at home, you know? Yeah. So hopefully in a way through all the negative Hopefully something good is going to come out of this and we'll, we'll start getting back to a little bit of a simpler life and enjoying life a bit more. And I think a, a lot of people are realizing you don't have to work 24 seven. Mm. You don't have to kill yourself working seven days a week. You, that, that quality time at home, unless you've got kids where well, you're probably ready to throw them out the window. <laughs> um, that quality time at home is, is the quality, it's family time that people have been missing for so many years. Sorry, go on, but... No, no,
0: no, it's a great answer. I I think you're right. As much as COVID is a a negative impact, it has slowed things down and it has made a lot of people think.
1: Yeah. um,
0: You know, there's a lot of people out there who want to go back to how things were, but Mm. I'm not entirely convinced it ever will.
1: It's kind of difficult because when you saw when they raised the first lockdown... It was like everyone was on Facebook and that waving the harp around and drawing pictures of butterflies saying, oh, well, I'm a hippie yeah. now. We're living <laughs> in the garden and all this. But give it two weeks in, everyone's back in the offices. Everyone's doing that. And I hope there's a lesson to be learned from that, that we don't lift this lockdown too early and go, OK, we've got the vaccine now. We've got this. Everything's going great. Right. Let's let everyone out and play again um, yeah. because we could end up back in a big problem again
0: well that's it i mean you look at countries like new zealand and they've got three cases now in their entire country and they've got kids exactly. again
1: there's twenty thousand people at a festival the other week wasn't that
0: yeah i know it's a much smaller country with less people in it but yeah still it shows what you can do if you just do the right thing i suppose that's
1: it i mean they locked down from day one and, and their restrictions were tough in this country, we locked down. and um, I'm not saying what sort of genre of people it was or what age group of people it was. And certain people thought, well, fuck that. We're going to go and do what we want anyway. Yeah. Um, which, is, which has been proved now by all the raves and stuff that have gone on. And that's human nature. People are going to mm-hmm. do that. They're going to say we're not going to be controlled by the government. But the irony of actually having a march <laughs> with a mass load of people together to say stop the lockdown it's just it's lost on me it's totally <laughs> lost on me sorry
0: yeah, it's certainly shown two different types of people hasn't it it's like those yeah. that just want to kind of get on with it and do what they can for themselves and other people around them and those of them that are quite noisy and yeah. uh, want people to know that they're not happy
1: with exactly, the situation.
0: But, exactly. Uh, each to their own I guess but at the same time you're just like look if we'd all just screwed our loafs at the beginning
1: Yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of, for people, like I've not seen my son since, I can't remember when. And obviously, because he has to be looked after when his mum's at work and now, I'm not in his support bubble. Mm. So I've done the right thing by not seeing him, sort of thing, if you Mm. you understand what I mean. And then for people like that, to see everyone going out and going scatty and like, oh God, yeah we are the 99% and all that crap, you know, I'm not for it, sorry. Yeah,
0: no, I'm I'm with you, I'm with you, and I can imagine that that's been quite tough. Have you been doing a lot of mm-hmm. this kind of video chat with yourself? Um,
1: yeah.
0: Not quite the substitute, though, is it?
1: No. I mean, we we all kind of miss human interaction, which is kind of, it is part of human nature. It's what we want to do, you know? Mm-hmm. And it is difficult. I mean, look, for those people that have been at home, it is getting groundhog day now. It is possibly because everyone's thinking, oh, when can we go for a pint? When can we do this? I mean, from me, to you we're all thinking, when can we get back in the recording studio or the yeah. rehearsal studio? Or when can we get back playing gigs, you know? Mm. But in a situation like this, I am kind of fortunate, you're kind of fortunate that we've got a house with a garden. And I say I've got a mate in Coventry with three kids who's at the top of the tower block. Yeah. So all day, they they're going crazy, you know? Yeah. So yeah. Oh, I don't know. I've had enough of that.
0: It's made you count your blessings, hasn't it? And, and For you know, sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the COVID chat out of the way. That's that well. part of the podcast done.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, so I always like to ask people a couple of easy questions to kind of get them in the, in the right frame of mind. I don't think we're going to have that trouble between you and me. But right. one of the first ones, I guess, is you remember the first kind of song or piece of music that you heard that made you think, I want to do
1: that. Um, it's it's kind of weird, because if I'm honest, and it's not going to be a popular choice, it was kind of like Gary Glitter and Alvin Stardust. Right. Um, and The Sweet, when I was mm-hmm. really little. And I mean, kind of, we're talking about five, six, seven years old. And my mum used to put The Sweet on, and Gary Glitter, and uh, the Glitter band, Slade, all things like that. I used to like have the old bloody um, tennis racket going, thinking, wow, this is so cool. And then kind of you got the television with Top of the Pops and stuff like that. And you got to see these bands. And you look back now and they look so ridiculous. They look insanely stupid. But it it was what it was. And I think the first real bang to my head was like when I heard The Clash. Obviously, the Sex Pistols were kind of sort of big commercial then, and they were on the Top of the Pops with their singles and what mm. have you. And they, were, they they seemed a bit jokey to me. But when I first heard The Clash, I just went bang. Wow, this is it. This is it, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. And um, do you remember the first Clash song that you heard?
1: Oh, God. Um,
0: I know it's a difficult question because, uh, you know, often it's, you know
1: an album or something like that, but I, I it might have been Capital Radio because I just remember hearing it, or it, it, it might have been the cover that we used to do, which was uh, Complete Control,
0: right?
1: Yeah, and it was just one of them. And it was, I, I can't remember where it was because you didn't have the media then in those days, it was you either heard it in the car on the radio or on the telly, so it was obviously one of them three. And I, mm. I, I've got a funny feeling it was in the car on the radio obviously sat in the back as a little nipper. I was about 10 years old then and just going, Oh my God, this is it. This is what I'm here for. You know? Yeah. And obviously so many bands followed and it, it, for a while, it just got better and better. And there was just like this music thing that was like, shit, I can relate to this now. I can really relate to it. It's not like, um, Rose Royce singing God knows what, or I'm in the mood for dancing, you know what I mean? Yeah, It was, yeah. Just, it was just like, bang! It was yeah. great.
0: Like, in your face and aggressive. Yeah. I think the first proper kind of punk song that I remember hearing was Should I Stay or Should I Go when it was re-released yeah, yeah. in the late 80s, early 90s, yeah. something yeah, like you're, that.
1: Yeah, you're that was,
0: younger than me, aren't you? Yeah, I'm a, li- I'm a little bit... But yeah, I remember hearing that on, a. I think it was on a Now album, you know, those Now right, yeah, yeah. music and always you had like a really poppy side and then the other yeah. tape or whatever was uh, was slightly more alternative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember, should I stay or should I go being on there and just thinking like, that sounds completely different to everything else that's on this.
1: Yeah, yeah. But now, I mean, it's kind of like, if you look back, I mean, I I, I sort of often troll YouTube and go back to Top of the Pops in... 81, 82, 83, 84, all them years. And there was some shite in the tar, tar <laughs> you've got to admit. But a lot of it was, was listenable shit, you know mm. what I mean? And it it was music. There was a lot of good music, you know? Okay, there was a lot of experimental stuff, and there was a lot of this, that, and the other. But there was some really great things, it, even things like Jolty John, Gordon is a Moron, and yeah. all, all that kind of stuff. And you had your jokey little bands like Plastic Bertrand and all that sort of thing. But it it was watchable. It was enjoyable. You know what I mean? It was great. Mm.
0: So uh, what was the first single album you ever bought with your own money?
1: I'd rather answer the album question. (laughs) It's
0: because no one's got a cool answer for first single.
1: (laughs) Right. Okay, first album I ever bought was Blondie Parallel Lines.
0: Oh, well, Fair enough.
1: (laughs) I think it was something like two ninety nine dollars from W. H. Smith's, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I just played it and played it and played it. Obviously, as a teenage kid, everyone had the pictures of Debbie Harry on the wall and what, what a goddess she was. But, yeah. like, I mean, the musicians in that band are just outstanding. If you listen to that album today, it stands up. What, 40 odd years later, 30 yeah. years later, whatever, it stands up to everything. Clem Burke, what a drummer, you know what I mean? Oh, man. Yeah. He's, he's standing. I forget the guitarist's name now, which is really embarrassing. Uh, Chris Stein. Oh. Chris Stein, that's it. Chris Stein. What an outstanding guitarist. Yeah. Um, and you think that that was recorded in, on, on eight tracks? Yeah. You know what I mean? Eight yeah. tracks. And it's so an astounding it. album.
0: It really is. It produced something like six, I think, singles.
1: Yeah. But I mean, I, I, I still listen to it to this day, you know, and still think, what a great album. What yeah, a great album.
0: Uh, it's yeah. incredible. Like the first two songs on it are hanging on the telephone in one way or another. That's it. Like, Astounding. And I, I mean, the bassist as well. I know that punk was a reaction to disco. Yeah. yeah. They kind of managed to kind of blur the two, oh, didn't oh, they?
1: For sure. For sure. Absolutely. For sure. And they were just like a bunch of musicians that gelled so well. I've got a funny feeling, much like us, everyone had different influences and it all came together. And that's where you get that original boiling pot because everyone pops their own ideas in, everyone has their own different styles. All of a sudden you've got something unique. So, I mean, it's, it's like you say Blondie in the day they were punk. But there were more disco than punk ever. Mm, mm. So, but what a brilliant way to get things across, you know?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So, what was the first band that you saw live?
1: I'm glad you didn't ask me about the single.
0: (laughs) I can push you on it. (laughs) Go on, go on. Tell us the single.
1: The first single I ever bought was Shawadi Wadi, A Little Bit of Soap. Yes. (laughs) And I remember going down to the record shop and I had one of them little record players that you kind of took the top off and put your record in sort of thing, plugged it in, it had the speaker built into it, and it sounded like crap. But it was it was my music then. I could do it. I could go out and listen. I listened to that song over and over again. And at the age of about probably nine or ten, I got a little band together at the youth club. Oh, yeah. None of us could play anything. We had um, a couple of empty tins as the drums. I had an old Spanish guitar my dad had lying around. Yeah. And I, I think the guy just stood there and brushed his hair on stage. He <laughs> was a, a, the equivalent of a bass player or something. And it was just ridiculous. But we enjoyed it, you know what I mean? Yeah. So we, we went down to the local youth club, stood on the stage, and just made a racket for about five minutes. And I thought, yeah, yeah, this is where I want to go.
0: Sounds yeah. very artsy. Just a the guy yeah. there combing his hair. You <laughs> know, it sounds like a <laughs> it, performance it was in days
1: before artsy was like kind of. <laughs> he probably stood up there and thought, "What? I what, what, what am I going <laughs> to do?" You know. So there you go.
0: Amazing. Was there a lot of music on in the house when you were when you were younger?
1: My d- my dad. He was a massive, massive Elvis fan. And obviously, most people that age, he, he was in the Royal Alberson, Buddy Holly, kind of all that sort of stuff. And we used to love it. We had a big thing, which Sunday morning was like family breakfast. We all went and ate breakfast together. And my dad had just put his LPs on and stuff like that. My dad actually had an old 78 signed by Buddy Holly, oh, wow. which me and my brother threw across the room and broke. <laughs> So <laughs> um, I wouldn't like to hesitate to think how much that would be worth now. Oh my but there God. There you go. There you go. Yeah, so my dad was proper into his rock and roll and stuff like that. And I remember, it was just ridiculous, but the day Elvis died, my dad came in my room, sat on my bed and started crying. Oh, wow. And it's, it's like I say, that was, what's that, 1977? And it's ridiculous the things you remember, but I remember my dad being devastated so I took all my Elvis posters down then and put Starsky and Unch posters up. <laughs> I thought, well, if he's dead, he's no good at me, you know. Did
0: you grow to get into Elvis yourself later on?
1: I mean, nobody can argue what a talented bloke he was. Mm. Nobody can argue what an influence on music he was. Without Elvis, there wouldn't have been a lot of things. The guy, voiced like an angel... His personal life was probably a lot more screwed up than any of us will ever, ever, ever know about. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, he he influenced so much stuff. It's a shame he lost the plot, but you think, you, you, you give a guy with no background, no money, no nothing, instant stardom. Yeah. What's going to happen to him?
0: Well, it's the same all the way down the line, isn't it? From like Macaulay Culkin through to Justin Bieber. They're all the same when they get that, mega stardom like I mean in Macaulay Culkin's case he was like eight wasn't he <laughs> or whatever yeah,
1: exactly. and exactly. they
0: just you know it's it becomes another you know you're on another plane then and no one says yeah, all, no all
1: of a sudden you've got like a million people around you trying to please you you've got people trying to kiss your ass 24 hours a day and people throwing money at you yeah. so if, you, if you're from a basic humble background that that's going to just Mess your head. I don't care who you are. You know what I mean. And for Elvis, his kind of downfall you know, in twenty years from like kind of his twenties to his forties, it was inevitable. Really, it was like literally, what drugs do you want today, Elvis? There you go. You know what I mean. It was kind of how many cheeseburgers you want before dinner. You know, yeah. it was inevitable. But there you go. It's, it's sad. Sad. Mm.
0: And I think as well. I think it was that. Colonel Tom Parker as well, his manager basically. I think he stymied his career quite badly.
1: He yeah, worked. well, managers, we don't even want to go there with things like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Anyone put this subtly, really? I'm not. Um people that are making money out of bands really don't give a fuck about the bands, they give yeah. a fuck about the money. I mean, there are, there's obvious exceptions, but the hierarchy of the music industry are like leeches. They are just like, yeah. but that's enough said about that.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. We'll move on. What was the first kind of professional band that you remember seeing live or, or even like, you know, were there any kind of local bands that left the mark
1: for you? I, d- I used to go and see a lot of local bands because I was kind of, when I was a lot younger, I looked a bit older and I could get in pubs. So well, yeah. we, used to, we used to go and see local bands. And we, my mother's and my old mother's side of the family are Irish. I mean, we used to go see a band called the Wild Colonial Boys in a pub called the Windmill.
0: Okay.
1: And they used to just blow my brains, seriously blow my brains. They were brilliant, actually, doing all the Irish classics and stuff. But first sort of like punky scene sort of, I think it was like 1982, 83. Mm-hmm. I want to see GBH in the Tower in Blackpool. Nice. Um, and I, I was kind of so little, I thought I ain't <laughs> going to get it. I was only about 14. I thought, I ain't going to get in, you know what I mean? But I just walked in and that was it. People were spitting everywhere and there was pints flowing. I thought, wow, this is the life, you know? And then it was kind of like whatever local local bands were playing, you know? Um, There used to be a band called Blitz Creek, And where we lived near Preston, the bass player's brother lived next door to us. And I was just in awe of that. I was just like, oh, my God. <laughs> he knows the bass player out of Blitzkrieg, you know? So... It, Looking back on it, they would probably sold about a couple of thousand records and that's it and played a few gigs. But you know, I was all struck with it because that's the life I wanted.
0: It's that impressionable age, yeah. isn't it? Where you see those people and you're like, well, they're they're rock stars.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> exactly. And so Preston was where you were born or where you grew up?
1: No, no, no. I was born in Nottingham. This is a story longer than a bit of string. <laughs> We had, we ended up in Wigan, then we moved to, oh God, Ormskirk, Southport, Liverpool, Manchester, and then eventually I ended up down here.
0: Lots of moving about then. Was that, for any particular reason, your dad's job or something?
1: Dad was a salesman, so he, he took lots of jobs. In fact, my dad actually made a record with the sales company he was, and it was, he, was, he was with a company called Telfer's. Right, and it was the song was called Bonanza Bill, advertising <laughs> Telfer's steaks. <laughs> really crappy, really horrible. You know, what I mean, and they used to like give it out with so many cases of meat or whatever. You know, <laughs> but my dad was really proud of this. He had been on this record, and he, I've, I think he probably did Second Triangle from the back or something. Like that. <laughs>
0: right,
1: he, he was really proud of it.
0: Do you think he was a bit of a, a frustrated musician then?
1: Oh, 100 percent, absolutely. Yeah. Hundred percent. If I go to see Dad now, if we go to a pub and there's a karaoke on, he's like, "Oh, see if he's got any Bill Haley." You know what I mean? <laughs> um, I think my Dad would have loved to have been like that, but he, he he was a committed family man, and yeah. you know he worked hard. So, uh,
0: and that was the thing. It was either you did one or the other, wasn't it? There was no there were that's no it, real, that's there it. Was no weekend warriors like myself. No,
1: and <laughs> uh, but also then in that sort of day and age, it was the accepted that you left school, got an apprenticeship, raised a family. That, yeah. that was kind of the accepted way of life. Um, mm. Obviously, all that's changed.
0: I suppose it was really weird to contemplate being a pop star. It was way out of the reach of people in, in the, what, 60s? Oh, no. We've all been here in the last 12 months, haven't we? The moment when the image of the person you're talking to freezes and you have no idea if it's a brief glitch or something more serious. Well, this was one of the latter instances. While I get Paul back, just a quick reminder that you're listening to Band Biographies where I, your host, Tom Austin Morgan, am talking with Paul Brightman of Swamp Stomper and Sham 69. Now, back to that conversation we've just had catastrophic internet failure but we're back on it now um so yeah we kind of covered yeah. a bit of like elvis and things like that but um what,
1: yeah,
0: what's yeah. what's um what's the, i can't remember exactly where we were when we left off but uh what's the uh, what's the best band that you've seen play live
1: oh I, I think you're going to know the answer to this one <laughs> And regardless of what genre of music, like you go see the Dropkick Murphys live, and it's an experience that just blows your brains. Yeah. I mean, I was lucky enough to be at the Sex Pistols reunion at Brixton. Oh yeah, what the '96? Or... Uh no, the, the two thousand. Oh god, maybe, maybe, maybe. Sorry. I know I ended up like sleeping in the train station because we missed our last train <laughs> home, and I'm a bit too old for that. But that was brilliant, but you cannot beat the Dropkick Murphys live. The atmosphere is just electric, absolutely yeah. electric. Followed closely by sort of flogging Molly live, which is, is is the same sort of thing, you know? And obviously the wild arts goes without saying, but to see the Dropkicks live, it... it it does that thing that when I first heard the classic, it puts the, the, the hairs upon your neck. It yeah. makes you just blow your brain. And the crowd are just looking round. There's beer flying everywhere. Everyone's smiling. Everyone's happy. It's just an amazing atmosphere. Yeah. It's, it's the best atmosphere I've ever seen.
0: Yeah. Everyone hugging each other and dancing and having a good time. It's uh, exactly always. Yeah. All those kind of Celtic punk bands. I've seen Flogging Molly a few times as well. And they always yeah. put them like, it's just, it's drinking and party music, isn't it? You
1: know exactly. It was. It's like, I mean, it's the same with the Wild Arts and stuff like that. It's like a, a family thing where everyone's just. And even if you get people wandering in from the street, oh, there's a gig on here, and all of a sudden you get the like the Dropkicks or Fluggy Molly or any sort of band like that. Mm. Everyone's banging into it, you know. But like I say, the Dropkicks live are electric. They're, they are. they're amazing. Absolutely I think I've amazing.
0: seen them something like I think I've seen them about. 11 times
1: I think you've seen them more than me then I think I'm about 8 or 9 yeah. possibly
0: they're easily the band I've seen the most and every single time they just knock it out
1: brilliant it's a latest space like especially the Bricks in the I think it's one of their venues and it just blows your mind you know yeah. but I've been lucky enough to see so many wonderful bands and to get backstage and stuff like that but I say the drop mm. kicks of Wild Arts and stuff like that is it always keeps me going. And yeah. a lot of local bands as well. You go and see mm. a local band and you're jumping up and down, you're having a great time, you know, you got them after the set and say, oh, great set, mate, you know what I mean? You have a beer, go over, have a chat and you, you've mm. made a friend there, you know? Yeah. The, the unity that music gives you is, because it, it's not around at the moment,
0: mm. you
1: kind of forget it for a little bit. And you think, oh, yeah, people come off go, oh, great set, mate. Do you want a point? Do you want this? Do you want a chat? You know, mm. I, I miss that so much. I miss it so much. Even down to weekly rehearsals, even down to uh, even squabbling with my bands. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, I, I just miss it so much. It's yeah. so hard at the moment.
0: Yeah. It's one of the things that I've realised that I really relied on. Yeah. Was that kind of getting oh, together once a week or once every couple of weeks. For sure.
1: Whatever. I mean... Yeah. It, it's, it's kind of like a mental health issue. It's like it's like seeing a therapist once a week. You get to mm. get your guitar, crank it up loud, blow it on out, you know what I mean? And whatever you're doing, like Ian, I don't know if you know him, he's a drummer in Swamp Stomper. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's in about 47 <laughs> bands, I think. <laughs> and he was, like, rehearsing every night. But it, mm. it, it's an outlet from your every day, you know? It it's is. an outlet from... Oh God, I've got to got to work tomorrow. It's it's that couple of hours where you just let yourself go, and you you're you playing your guitar, you close your eyes, and you just think, right, I could be anywhere in the world right now, doing anything mm. I want. Tomorrow's a different story, yeah. you know. And it's like, I mean, thankfully, a lot of us are not professional musicians that mm. we earn our living out of that, and we we totally rely on touring and merch and records to make a living because. I mean, the the entertainment industry, theatres, everything, it's just been decimated by this uh, coronavirus. Yeah,
0: it's totally on its knees. I mean, that's that's something that I want to get to slightly later on. But, yeah, certainly it's something that the government seems to have kind of overlooked a little bit, is Mm -hmm. how things are going to work after Brexit and all that. But, like I say...
1: You should take a moment out and say to Boris Johnson, just like... Imagine life without music. Imagine life yeah. without poetry. Mm. Imagine life without art. You know mm. what I mean? Do these people not matter? You know what I mean? Because w- without that, we'd be living like virtually a communist lifestyle, where you, you went to work, came home, ate your dinner, and went to bed without yeah. any external influence. You know, somehow the arts need supported. Okay, there isn't an endless pot of money, but in some form, the arts need supported independent music venues dropping like flies, how any independent pubs can carry on after this lockdown is, is beyond me because they're still having to pay rent, they're still having to pay rates. Right, so you get through the second, second lockdown, we go, oh, brilliant, we're open again, mm. ordering 40 kegs of beer, loads of food, this, that and the other, two weeks later they shut down again, you know? Yeah. So there needs to be some support for that.
0: Definitely. Yeah. I mean, cause yeah. that's the big fear, isn't it? Of like when it's all over, where, where are we going to no. play?
1: <laughs> and there's going to be, like there's going
0: to be like a want as well. Like we'll want to get out. Oh, oh yeah.
1: Go I mean, far. I was listening to an article all day on radio Two. Mm. Not that I'm a regular listener. It just happened <laughs> to be on as I passed by. And it was literally about the people who have saved money while they've been in lockdown. Mm was bearing in mind, say you're going to the pub or a couple of gigs or whatever, the money you spend. And it was like people are like, we can't wait for this to finish so we can get out spending money again and doing this thing. So hopefully the economy will do quite a quick bounce back. Only time will tell, but like hopefully. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's it. It'll be interesting to come back to this conversation in about a year or two's time and see where we're where we're standing, eh?
1: We're in lockdown number nine in twenty (laughs) twenty three. And the only thing you can do is look out your window, and if yeah. anyone catches you with the curtains open, you get shot in the head.
0: <laughs> it could get there.
1: Hopefully, but Boris. There's, Boris is there going? We're trying.
0: <laughs> Every other country in the world's got it licked except us. So you've been in bands ever since the pots and pans down at the Total Club. When did you start? Did you did you have like a secondary school band or something like that? Yeah.
1: I didn't do a lot of secondary school,
0: right?
1: Yeah, it it just did not agree with me at all, and it was like it was like having a vice put in your fucking head. It was like this is what I want to do, but you can't do that. You know what I mean? So we had little bits and bobs, and I think like when (laughs) I first left school, we had a band called Crazy Johnny Cabbage and the Screening Vegetables. And basically, it was um, a T chest bass and acoustic guitar and a snare drum. And it was kind of like rockabilly, kind of stray catsy stuff like that. And then I really got into the meteors and we got a band like that going. And there were so many bands Captain Zepp and the Head Detectives was one of them. <laughs> These um, are
0: great names. Oh, <laughs> uh,
1: God. What was that? What was that one? Um, they were like really silly names, really silly names. Fli the Itchy Bottom was one <laughs> band I was in. And these bands used to last for about three rehearsals. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? And then I joined a band called Finn Under the Wedge, which right. was like a touring band. And I was I was only about 20 then. And I couldn't stand the music. I absolutely hated it. But they were touring, and they were they, they used to like pick us up on a Saturday, you go and do three gigs, you know what I mean, and you come <laughs> on and you get paid for it. But it, it soon dawned on me that I couldn't do that.
0: Right.
1: I was like, I'm not a session player, I can't do that. So that, that didn't last very long. Mm.
0: But it gave you that taste of going
1: out on the road, almost. Oh, oh yeah. It, 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 don't get me wrong, they, they were talented blokes. Um, and they'd, be, they'd all been something before, back in the 70s and the heyday.
0: Yeah.
1: And I was kind of lucky enough, I went along for the audition and got the job it was like, okay, next weekend we're playing here, here, here and here. You know what I mean? Learn these songs. And I, I got there and I just thought, oh, I feel like a fake doing this. Right. You know what I mean? I was really it, don't Was like it covers? It. It, no, it wasn't covers. It was a lot of their own stuff. But if yeah. you can imagine, have you seen the film Strange Fruit? Yes.
0: Yeah.
1: Where they used to be something, right. but now yeah. they're not. Okay. Okay. They were called. They were called a different name back in the seventies, but I'm not going to say who it is. I get you. And I, I just joined as an extra guitarist, and I and know they were, were kind of, as much as we are now in our forties and fifties, trying to relive their glory days, you mm. know. Um, but it just didn't work out for me.
0: Yeah, fair
1: enough. And then the next band along the line, obviously various little bands doing this, that and the other. I was sort of gigging most weekends and doing stuff for other bands. And then it was a band called Little Boy Sick, which we kept together for maybe five, six years. Yeah, we had some interest from them. We did a tour with the Dogs oh, back yeah. in 1991, 92. And things were going really well for that, and then we got offered the support for the Manic Street Preachers. Wow! Which we were like, "Oh my God, this is it! This is you know the big time." The Manic Street Preachers weren't the big stadium band they are.
0: No, would it have been like kind of motorcycle emptiness era, kind of gold on the soul? It was
1: a generation terrorist era. Yeah, you know. and we got off of the sport with them, and then that got pulled because oh. their record company wanted to promote a band that was on their label mm. rather than have someone else from a different label. Right, right. So basically that was my first lesson in learning it's not what you do or it's not how good you are or how brilliant you are at entertaining the crowd. It's basically, fuck me, we want to make some money here. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Stick a band for both labels on the same tour, and we're pulling twice the money. Yeah, um, yeah. And that, 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 that kind of hit me like an axe. Yeah,
0: I can um, imagine.
1: And to be honest with you, it was then I moved down to Kent. And much as it hurt me to leave that band because we were doing quite well, it was it was like um, a bullet to the head. Kind of realizing how the actual industry works and how. Yeah. Okay, right. Um, you're a no-one, we're not going to try and make you a someone, mm. we're going to get someone who's a no-one, but we're paying them already to try and make them a someone. I mean, I can't remember the name of the band, I remember they were, like, fucking awful, and they died of death on that tour, so what goes around comes around.
0: I can understand being completely gut-punched by that, because that you, yeah. who, knows, who knows, who knows there, but for the grace of yeah, God and yeah. all that. Yeah, so when you got down here, did you stop playing for a while?
1: I think it was about eight years. I didn't play for it at all. I didn't I didn't even own a guitar, if I'm honest. It was maybe years later when we first got Sky TV. I remember it. And it was like you, you you first get Sky TV for that day, and you're like, oh my god, this thing is wonderful. Oh, look at this channel, look at this channel, look at this channel. Three days later, like, oh, God, this is shit. Why did I pay for it? But there was, like, a documentary on looking for Richie Manick. And I said to my ex-wife at the time, I said, God, I wish I had a guitar right now. And she went down to Argos and came back with a Squire Strat and a a Frontline 15-watt amp. And it was like, she said, there you go. (laughs) <laughs> so i just disappeared up in the bedroom but i it was literally i think about eight years when i just didn't play guitar i wow. didn't do anything yeah yeah
0: i've got to say i had a similar thing just before i joined because you know we've been we've been dancing around it but i'm in swamstone with you and before i started playing with you i would not picked up my bass for I don't know how many years after, like a couple of failed projects, I was just like, right, yeah, come yeah, yeah. with that. I've got to go mm. and try and do something else. Like get get mm. my career sorted before I, you know, get back into that. So yeah, well, I can only imagine the kind of headspace you were in if it was just me being yeah. kicked out of some local bands. But um, yeah, it's it, a did, tough
1: one. it was just it was kind of like because my mom and dad lived down here, and it was like the the situation I was in up north. Wasn't the greatest, you know what I mean? It, it, I was what twenty five, twenty six years old. In bands, didn't work. Doing all sorts of things you shouldn't really do, and then I I got that that fucking lightning strike, which is like it's dead jail or rock and roll. here. you know what I mean. So yeah. the situation I was in, I had to get out of, right? Because I wouldn't, I wouldn't still be here today if I didn't if that makes sense. I don't yeah, think I'm yeah. too deep into it. No, um, fair enough.
0: it's always the better idea to get out and carry on living. Yeah, jobs, and
1: yeah. It, it was kind of like, you, you take your choices here and live to fight another day. And I thought, I actually put my stuff in the back of an Astra car
0: mm-hmm.
1: and moved down here. Um, I came down to see my mum and dad. I got offered a job. And the guy said, when do you want to start? I said, Monday. So right. I drove back on the Saturday, threw all my stuff in the van Came down here, Sunday. Fair enough. Uh, there
0: you go. And the rest is history. And then, when you picked your guitar back up again, how how long was it before you were joining or forming bands again?
1: It, it, it was a kind of weird sort of transition. That do I want to be in a band again, or do I, do I want to go for all that shit again? Yeah. You know, what I mean, it's like like you say when we we used to tour with the old band, we had a Luton and van. We didn't have no hotel rooms and that. There'd be like six, seven guys in the back of the van waking up in the morning. It smelled like sick and sweaty socks. (laughs) You know what I mean? You hadn't had anything to eat for days and days, but it was fun. You know what I mean? It was fun. And I thought like, now I'm older, I've got kids. Can I sort of commit to do that again? And you kind of realise there's a level where you can go, yeah, we can do this quite regularly but you also have to deal with real life as well yeah. and unless you get a multi-million pound record deal there's no way anyone can just go yeah we're going to pull out of this and go touring mm-hmm. but to be honest with you I got offered a tour and I just went on it and I was kind of like fuck the consequences <laughs> and I just yeah, enjoy it but yeah we got together a few little bands that used to be like a, a band called Too Tall for Tommy And that started off as an electric band. I can't even remember the members of it. I think my mate John was on guitar. I was on bass. Mm. And Drew was on drums. And then that folded. And we started this weird acoustic weird shit. Um, We call it Nearly As Tall As Tommy. (laughs) And it was like, I was on the fucking mandolin. John was on the banjo. Drew was on the bongos, and at the time, I thought, this is fucking brilliant. And we used to do, like, East Bay Night by Rancid and right. a couple of other covers, Fall Back Down, on the mandolin banjo and bongos, you know? <laughs> and at the time, I was like, wow, this is brilliant. Looking back on it, I was like, what the fuck were you thinking about? <laughs> there you go.
0: You've got to try these experimental things, though. So probably the more better-known band that you're in at the moment is Tim V, cham 69. Yeah. Were you a fan of Sham to begin with and were you aware of the split between Jimmy Percy and the rest of them?
1: It was kind of funny because That's Life was one of my favourite albums when I was younger.
0: Right.
1: I used to listen to it at home and play it and play it and play it. And funny enough, in one of my English essays, I nicked some words out of it and it was like listening to the gossip from Myro to the next, um, something about someone's budgie being dead and I wrote this in my essay and I got like an A plus for it. I was like, uh, yeah, yes. I just need 769. But yeah, I used to listen to the records um, until, oh, very careful what I say um, Yeah, I used to listen to records and enjoy them. You know? yeah. And, it, and it, it, I wasn't aware of the split at all. Mm before I got us to join the band so yeah
0: i played in a in a band at one point called snide and we were playing a gig with sham 69 i got really excited because you know they're legends but it was on the weekend that jimmy percy decided to reform the classic lineup if you like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i remember tim not being a very happy man i think there was a lot of uh, you know yeah, well, it wasn't a pleasant place to be around at that time. I think it was, I think it was about 2011. It must, yeah, the, the, the reformation of the old Sham 69 was back in 2011. Yeah, yeah. So it was well, around then. And it was, uh, yeah, it felt quite dangerous to be in his company. They kept themselves to themselves right at the back of the venue and then came out yeah, and he, um, he was very angry.
1: Tim's a formidable bloke. He's a big yeah. bloke and he, he can get angry. But I'll tell you what, he's a pussy cat. He right. He's a nice bloke. The history of this goes back further than I think Ben Hur, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, basically, in 2007, Jimmy Percy either left mm. or was sacked from Sham yeah. 69, depending on which side of the fence you're on. Yeah, now, right. the lineup then was Dave Parsons, Ian on yeah. drums. And Rob I th- no, it wasn't Rob on base. I think Matt Sargent was on base then. I'm not sure.
0: It might have been but up, anyway. Yeah,
1: Jimmy was asked, or he chose mm. to leave the band. You see my fucking tactfulness here. <laughs> um so Jimmy basically was, was not part of Sham 69 anymore. Yeah. Um, auditions were held and Tim got the job as the new singer for Sham 69. Mm. Now, as the years wore on, um, we're talking 2007 here. Mm. Okay. As the years wore on, people left, people came, people. So the new lineup was Tim, Rob, Ian and Dave Parsons. Mm -hmm. Now, Tim, for whatever he is, his management skills are outrageous. Yeah, he can book gigs anywhere, mm. and he can and 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 he refloated Champ sixty nine. Yeah, after all the negative images of the skinheads and the rows and the racism and all that, Tim literally lifted Champ sixty nine to a touring band again. Yeah, so at that point, it was every member that was in the band at the time, apart from Jimmy Percy. Mm. Okay, now I, I really people can read what they want into it and people can believe, okay, I want to like this band, I want to like this band. To me, all that politics, I can't be arsed with. Yeah. Tim's a nice bloke, Ian's a nice bloke, we get to tour around the world and it's, Bloody brilliant! You know mm. what I mean.
0: Well, that was one of that was one of the things that when I saw Tim that time, he was like, "I took this band around the fucking world from China to the US and all this, and these are you know all all places that you know the original." He
1: he, he, he did that. Mm. There's no denying it. He did that. He set up the F Troop Agency, which is our booking agency, and we booked for 8 Ball Agency as well. But he set that agency up and he took Sham 69 from the mess it was that Jimmy had left it in Mm. to a success. Okay, it's very difficult to replace a frontman in a band. Anyone else, if you replace a drummer, people probably wouldn't even notice for about six months, you replace the bass player, no one would even
0: care, you know? <laughs> Absolutely, one hundred percent. As a basis.
1: Like, you replace the front man and that's it. People <laughs> are like, well, whatever. My sort of ideology on it and my way of looking at it is you can't be the chairman of British Steel, then get sacked from British Steel and start another company called British Steel. That's oh, yeah. all I've got to say on that one.
0: Yeah, I mean, um, and and that was the thing, because like, eventually, yeah, Tim uh, Jimmy Percy came back in and set up another the original '77 lineup, and Dave Parsons yeah. moved back across the back across the fence, if you like. So it's just yeah. Ian what, Ian Whitewood, the drummer, is the only one left in. Um, in these, yep. the band that was Sham 69 that is still Sham 69. But yeah, <laughs> it's it's, such, it's a twisted tale, isn't it? It's a twisted
1: tale. It is, it is, it's very confusing. Um, Ian has been with Sham 69 since 82, I think, 83. Yeah, yeah. Before that, he was with the Bernet Torme band. Mm-hmm. And Ian is one of the loveliest blokes you'll ever meet, ever, ever. Mm. Uh, he's so laid back. And he's just so easygoing, you know what I mean? He was treated not very well mm. by certain camps. I'm not saying who. And we also had Neil Harris on a yeah. bass stroke guitar when it needed. And he was in the original lineup of Sham 69, sort of kind of 1975, 1976. Yeah. Guy wrote a lot of the songs which he was never credited for. He was a lovely bloke, sadly... Three years ago, I think it was yesterday or the day before, he died of cancer. Mm. I, but it was a pleasure to work with him, you know what I mean? He'd he he he'd been through everything mm. with bands and stuff like that. I and mean, it was an absolute pleasure to work with him. Um, he's going to be sadly missed, but there you go. Mm. But he was one of the original Hirschen boys. So on the side. Yeah,
0: yeah. So you you joined in 2014, is that right?
1: I th- somewhere around there, it's mm. kind of—I can't remember what happened uh, last week. But.
0: <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. How, how did you get the call up? Where did where we spotted? Or
1: this was bizarre because um, we were playing with a band called Swamp Stomper mm. at the late at the Lady Luck in Canterbury, right. and it might well have been noted that I usually have a few beers at a gig. Mm. Anyway, I was kind of literally falling out the door when we went off and I got a phone call and it was like, this is Tim from cham 69. He said, "Um, I've been giving you a number by so-and-so, I'm not going to say who it was. And he said, do you want to come down for an audition? And then it was like, fucking woke up in the morning I thought, that can't have been real. You know what I mean? Did I dream that? And the next minute I got an email with 40 songs to learn in a week. Wow. Me the picture and it would be like, right, we're going to pick songs, and you've got to be able to play. It. And I, I actually did sit there for like a week and didn't sleep, just yeah. kind of learning all these songs. Okay, they're not um, Bohemian Rhapsody, or you know, I mean, not like orchestral. it's not
0: like learning Yes or something, is it? It's exactly,
1: uh, yeah, yeah. Exactly. But yeah, there was a lot to take in, so i went down for the audition. Sort of kind of, there was a nervous moment where I was asked to step outside. Ooh. You know, kind of thing. You, yeah. You've done your thing and it's like, you just step outside a minute. And then it was like, I came back in and was like, yeah, we've got a gig next week. Do you want to join us? Wow. You know, and, that, and, that, <laughs> and that's how it happened. So is this, this person so-
0: that you haven't named, this person who kind of gave Tim the heads up about you, is this someone that you'd played within bands before or someone you'd supported in other... You know played no, it, another bill or something
1: it was only about three years later that I found out who it was. And he he'd seen our band a couple of times and he said, yeah. Oh, this bloke will fit in fine. Oh. And he was a Facebook friend and I, I knew him quite well. Okay. But I've no idea he'd mentioned me to them. Wow. So interesting. It, I mean, it was just right place, right time, kind of things like that, oh, yeah. you know.
0: Amazing. You've gone all over the place with Cham, haven't you? Like, where, where have yeah. been some of the kind of highlights of touring with them?
1: Well, it's just kind of like I say when I first joined, we had a gig in, I think it was Dorset, right? Mm. I thought, we Dorset, that's it's kind of like a like world tour, you know what I mean? <laughs> and like two weeks later, I was on a plane in Norway, and then we flew off to America for a month, yeah. you know? It was like within a couple of weeks of being with a band, I was all over the place, so... Yeah. We've done America a couple of times, Canada, Mexico, all over Europe, Spain, Italy, and obviously the lockdown kicked in this year, but we were mm. meant to do Russia and Japan this year. And to be honest with you, it's it, it's like a dream come true. Mm. It's like, yeah, hop on a plane, you know, and off we go play a gig. Some yeah. of the best gigs we play, there's a company called To Die For Records, I think, on Jersey. Right. And they fly us into Jersey. We play a couple of nights in a little club in Jersey. And it's just amazing. It, they take us out for breakfast, yeah. take us out for lunch. Then we go and play the gig at night. And it's brilliant, you know. I honestly consider myself so lucky to have actually been to all these places. I mean, they, mm-hmm. they kind of phoned us up and said, do you want a gig in Mexico? And it was like one gig. Mm. They flew us up to Mexico, put us in a five-star hotel, played the gig, had another day in a five-star hotel and came home. Mate, that's you know?
0: amazing.
1: <laughs> you know? Yeah. To me, that, that that's, that's one off my bucket list, you know?
0: I used to travel for my job quite a lot. And, um, you know, people would always be like, oh, it must be amazing going to these places. But quite often what I used to do was get from the airport to the hotel to a conference centre for three or four days, then to the hotel and back on the plane. But I always tried to find some downtime whenever I could, whether that was like the middle of the night or really early in the morning, to actually go and try and have a little bit of an explore. Did you get to see a lot of places that you went to?
1: In all honesty, no, because Mm. if you go to America, you could think, okay, we've got a gig in Liverpool tonight yeah, and it's a three, four hour drive. You go to America and you're going <laughs> eight, nine, ten hours drive. Yeah. Okay, so you get to that gig, mad rush to the sound check. You get in there, a couple of beers, right, quick, back for lunch. I think it's like you do the gig. It's, it's kind of usually pretty late in the night in America when you, you end up doing the gig. Yeah. Get back to the motel, crash out. 6.30am, we've got a 10-hour drive today. So it is kind of hard to see places, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But but don't get me wrong, I'm not not slating that or whatever. I wouldn't change the world. You don't get to see a lot of where you are.
0: Mm. that's kind of Um, what I mean it's like with my old job people would be like oh you've been to all these places and you're like well I haven't
1: yeah
0: (laughs) I've I've seen out the window I've seen out the window (laughs) it's great to do it but it's not always it's not the kind of romanticized thing that people think
1: no what i like to do is I usually get up like semi-early in the morning and go for a little walk wherever we are and just have a look around I mean the, the, the last European tour we did, uh, me and Katie, which was our merch girl, mm. we were in Vienna and we just went for a walk down the front along the river and uh, yes. and it was just astounding, you know, and it just kind of chilled me out for the day. But I tried that in Mexico and I was kind of like dragged back to into the hotel because you can't go wandering around, <laughs> around here. So, you know. Yeah, I can imagine. It's not. It's not as glamorous as you would like to think, no. or as okay. You can drink yourself stupid, and we usually do for the first couple of days. But after that, when you're getting up early and you're on the road and you've got to get all the gear in and you've got to like do all this, it gets hard work. Yeah, yeah, hard
0: absolutely. Work. Yeah, I always wonder how some of these guys who've been abusing alcohol and drugs for decades still managed to go on these multi-week tours and survive
1: like you say i mean you'll find you do it for the first few days and there's there's always a party afterwards so everyone's always saying to you do you want to come here do you want to come here and you're just thinking oh god i'm so tired i just want to get back to my hotel room have a shower um you come off stage and you are dripping with sweat, yeah, yeah. literally dripping, especially with big crowds. And it's like you think, oh, I just want to have a shower, chill out. And they're like, do you want to come to our house? And, you know, <laughs> we've got a party going on. Me and Uncle Bob are going to have us a nephew, son. you know? It, it, it's, it's kind of hard work. And you, you, you sort of feel to a degree you have to be polite Yeah, and say yes, and we'll do this and that. And on my first American tour, I made that mistake. I went everywhere. Yeah, you know, I was literally like, the band were in the morning, like, where the fuck's Paul? Where is he? (laughs) And you soon learn you can't carry on like that.
0: Yeah, it's unfortunate. It's, uh, it's yeah, I, I know where you're coming from.
1: <laughs> you have your own physical limits. And then yes. when you realise them, it's like time to calm down.
0: Yeah, yeah, you've, you've reached that boundary and you're like, right, I know for yeah. next time I can kind of pace myself a little bit more. Yeah. I know that you've played some big gigs. What yeah. are the kind of audience sizes that Sham69 is pulling in these days?
1: The UK's an odd one because kind of people are related with the history, the tension, the split between the two bands. Yeah. Europe loves us. Right. I'm not not saying they don't love the other lot, Mm -hmm. but it's kind of weird because there's a separated love of music in Europe, England, America, Canada, whatever. For example, America, if there was three local bands on, the place would be packed down.
0: Yeah.
1: And probably the same in Europe a lot. In England, there's kind of a really blasé attitude to, okay, my mate's band on, oh, him before, I don't think I'll bother tonight, you know. or yeah.
0: fully aware of that.
1: <laughs> in Europe, you don't get that. You walk into a, a club with a couple of local bands playing and it's packed Mm. and they're, they're really passionate about the music you know mm. what was the original question because I've lost my fucking train of thought
0: uh, like some of the places where you've had the most interest because I know the Mexico show was pretty big right
1: yeah the Mexico well, they made a big mistake at the Mexico one mm. we, we had sold out a club in Mexico City and it was literally sold out you couldn't get in without a ticket So the promoter decided at the last minute to move it to a location he found in a big field.
0: Right, okay.
1: Which was 20-odd miles out of Mexico City. Oh. Obviously with with the intention of getting more people in. And this was like one hell of a drive, okay? So when we got there, we we pulled our van and there was like policemen with shotguns and machine guns and stuff like that. And it it was quite scary, Mm. but the the promoter got greedy Mm. and he thought, well, if I can sell out this big club, I can sell out this big sort of festival ground or field in the middle of nowhere. But he did it at the last minute and it was literally like, who the hell is going to drive 20 miles out of Mexico City through mountains and rancid dogs, coming to rip your throat out and stuff like that? Go and see a band. Yeah.
0: You know what I mean,
1: and it was I think there was eleven or twelve bands on the on on the bill that day. And they were all sort of saying, Well, what the hell? There was a lot of people there, don't get me wrong.
0: But it wasn't but, a field's worth of people.
1: It wasn't no, a full field. No. Yeah. No, for sure, but that's, that's. I mean, that's what you get for getting greedy, isn't it, you know?
0: Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, you should have been happy with the with the smaller club. I, yeah. I've always been of the impression, if you've got a small room, pack the small room rather than move to a bigger room and have people bouncing around.
1: It for like... def- for <laughs> definite.
0: Yeah, yeah. The other thing as well is that this Sham 69 with Tim, they've continued to record albums. They've had, like, I think he's done three over the last 10 years or something.
1: More than that, but...
0: Is it? Oh, right, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think the last one was It It All End In Tears. I think last did. One. <laughs> Exactly. Did you play on that one?
1: Yeah, I, I played every bit of guitar on that. I played to the bass in that as well. Oh. Um, a few of the little bits, but yeah, 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 yeah. That was, once again, that was kind of a baptism of fire. Yeah. It was like, here's the demo songs we've got to have an album out by whenever you know, so that was kind of literally recorded in different studios mm. and emailed back between so and so. Oh, right. But it was good. That was a good album. I can't, I can't argue with that. And I enjoyed played on it.
0: Mm. And is that? I suppose that means that there must be scope for recording more in the future. Is, is he actively looking to continue recording and releasing new material? All I can
1: say, all I can say, is like literally. Or watch this space.
0: Right, okay, fair enough. That's good enough for me.
1: There's an album in the pipeline, and there's gonna be a follow-up to that's live called That's Live Two.
0: Okay, right, nice one. Because yep. the other thing, the other the flip side to that is of course that I don't think Jimmy Percy's version of Cham69 is doing that. Is there like a, a thing where that original 77 lineup is more of a kind of nostalgia band, whereas you guys are the ones producing new material do you know what i mean like is there an actual deal between the two bands where one is allowed to continue am i not allowed to is this i, don't, I can cut this out what? um and speaking of recording new material you were kind of tapped up to play by gene vincent to play on chelsea's new album weren't you
1: no well it wasn't gene Vincent. oh is it, it not was, gene? Um, chris bashford a couple of years ago, we we were stuck for a bass player for a tour
0: mm.
1: and Chris offered to join in. So we, we were sharing a hotel room and we we got on really well sort of thing. He, he's not the easiest bloke to get on with, but we, we kind of had a laugh at that. And he said to me, we're going to have to work together at some point. So I mm. said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't think any more of it. And a couple of years later, he said he was going to put like, This Chelsea thing back together with some of the original members, some new members, some new songs, some of the original songs. And he wanted to record a new album. And obviously then the lockdown just landed on us. So whether that will happen, whether it won't, I don't know. Chris is a lovely bloke and... Whatever happens, I wish him all the best.
0: Yeah, yeah, fair play. And COVID and all the rest of it, obviously that's putting the brakes on a lot of things. Hopefully the Chelsea thing picks up afterwards. But since lockdown and COVID and all that, we've also had Brexit, of course. And there's been a bit of a storm kicked up by various musicians, actors, comedians, artists about free culture work permits to be issued for bands and artists who are going on tour in Europe because the agreement that's in place at the moment means that you've got to get individual work permits for every country in Europe to go and work there and that there are restrictions on selling goods or services which basically is merch and geeks directly to the public. Do you have any kind of idea about how that's going to work? I know that obviously a lot of the thing is worked out by management companies and what have you. But hopefully there'll be something that comes about to stop that. But who
1: knows? It's kind of really difficult because you get kind of like the news lines of things mm-hmm. and what is official. And then suddenly somebody puts it on Facebook. Everyone grabs it by the wrong end of the stick and starts beating a tree round with it. Yeah. All of a sudden you've got from I don't know. Perhaps we're thinking of restrictions on English travel through Europe to everyone from England will get beheaded when they cross the French line. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? So it's kind of it's really difficult to know what is actually going on. And there's actually no official statement on what is going to happen. It's all in sort of like discussion stages. I believe there is going to be restrictions on what we do where you can go and it basically works down to sort of going over to Europe to earn money
0: right
1: and if you if you're going there to sort of drive around pitch your tent in the back of a I don't know toilet in Lyon yeah off you go you know what I mean but if you're coming over here with instruments and a van packed with t-shirts there's going to be levies on that which is our own fault yeah. You know what I
0: mean? I suppose it's paying tax in the country that you're making money in, isn't it? That's what it comes exactly. to.
1: Exactly, exactly. We were part of the EU, mm. which is the biggest free movement of goods and people in the world. Mm. You know what I mean? In the whole world. All of a sudden... Oh, God. Phrase this very carefully. <laughs> we get, like, fucking Neanderthals fucking waving hammers around the <laughs> British flags, saying, oh, we don't want to be part of this. We want our fucking pound, shillings and pence back, you know? And it's like, okay, I respect a lot of people for wanting to leave Europe, and yeah. I understand their reasons, but we've just left the biggest trading community in the world. Mm. I mean, you get on the ferry to your friends, what is it, an hour? And then you you can drive from here to Russia yeah. without a passport. Yeah. You know? You can stop in every country without a passport. You can do what the hell you want without a passport. And we could trade with all those countries as well. We could, like, go, we want X amount of this, X amount of that. Pop it on a ferry, bring it over, pop it in a lorry on your doorstep tomorrow.
0: Vaccines, for example.
1: Not even (laughs) going to go there. Not even going to go there. (laughs) Not like they're trying to teach Ireland the point, but... (laughs) you just imagine me in Brussels going, oh, you're not having any fucking vaccines, you bastards. But, I mean, it was was just ludicrous to walk away. It's like, I don't know if you had a Sainsbury's on your front garden, right? Mm. You walked out the door, picked up your shit, put it in your house, closed the door, cheers, mate, Mm. and then you suddenly choose to go to white Rose, 28 miles away. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, it, it makes no sense to me. All, all I'll say is, oh, this is a fucking difficult one to talk about without being... It's
0: tough to be non-polarising about it, because yeah. obviously everyone, everyone's got their own decision-making process that went into whether they yeah. voted this or that. I, I genuinely believe that no one was qualified enough to vote simply yes or no.
1: It was far too... 100% 100 agree. There should have been a paper that said, right, if we vote Leave, this is what's going to happen in reality. Mm. You know what I mean? This is is what's going to happen. When you get a vote, choose my words very carefully, that is kind of where people can make a difference... Mm. and where a lot of people who don't know what the fuck's going on Mm. will follow a crowd, those people will then come out to vote Mm. when they feel motivated enough to... If there was a vote to depose all fucking Russian, Romanian, Polish people living in this country, you would Mm. get a massive vote on it. You get maybe 80% of the population out to vote because yeah. they followed this hate trail, this... But when you get this actual vote, people did not understand what they were voting for. Like, yeah. as you said, it was like, yeah, we don't want fucking immigrants in our back garden. Yeah. I want to eat my like pork pie, and I don't <laughs> want any fucking brioche with it. I it, it, it's like, that was what they voted on. And it was mm. ignorance, and it was... Oh, I don't don't know. We've lost a massive opportunity here. As for gigging and touring, yeah, I think we're going to struggle crossing borders and have to pay levies. Obviously, when you're importing merch, you're going to have to pay a certain extent. I mean, that happens in Czechoslovakia. If you cross the Czechoslovakian border, they sort of count how many T-shirts you've got. Okay, and if you come back out, they count how many T-shirts you've sold, and you right. owe them whatever you sold that there's sort of import duty or whatever on them. Mm. But yeah, I think we've we've messed up a big opportunity by leaving the European Union, and it's going to make life a lot harder for bands. It's going to make life a lot harder for business people. It doesn't just apply to bands. It doesn't apply to musicians, artists, whatever everyone it's going to be so harder to travel through the EU Mm. and also I'm not going to mention vaccines but you can see how we're spitting the dummy already
0: yeah exactly I mean the fact is that we were involved in a lot of scientific research and things like that with the EU and now we're not going to be involved in that kind of scientific. you know and this is where yeah we've got that Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine that's ours but Is
1: it enough? We kind of made a choice here, right? And we picked up our ball, took it home and Mm. said we weren't playing anymore. And we suddenly got back home to the house and thought, oh shit, we haven't got any (laughs) friends now. What are we going to do? You know, so that's kind of a basic scenario of it and it's fucking terrible. Mm. I think the EU, okay, there there were certain rules. You can't have this, you can't have that. Health and safety got a bit silly. Mm. But end of the day, how many lives did that save? Anyway.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things. It's going to have impacts, but who knows what the actual impact is going to be until we can get back out there, right? And between now and then, I'm sure they can figure something out, you know. And admittedly, it's going to hit the smaller bands... That don't have management deals and stuff, you know. For sure, much. it's
1: it's it's, it's going to kind of hit the smaller bands. Um, obviously now you have to have separate healthcare to go out there. Mm-hmm. You have to apply for your license to drive on the road. Mm. I think it's two weeks before or something like that. So, the, the the situation where someone phones you up and says, "Oh, we've got a gig in Finland, or a, a gig in Denmark," yeah. Could you fly out this weekend? I think that is going to kind of not happen so much anymore, mm-hmm. but I, I don't know. It's difficult to say because we don't know the official rules. Everyone's yeah. kind of just like throwing balls up in the air. Someone's catching it and saying this is what I think. Mm-hmm. So until so we've got the actual black and white, this is what's going to happen. It's difficult to say.
0: Yeah, yeah, fair play. So on a slightly more positive note, what what are you looking forward to once everyone's been vaccinated, hopefully, and uh live events industry has been revived, hopefully. Hopefully,
1: hopefully. Um fingers crossed, the vaccination program's going well, the one thing this government have perhaps got right. Hoping there's no bad mutations or weird shit that goes on. I'm looking forward to sitting in a pub with my mates. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm looking forward to getting back in the rehearsal room. I'm looking forward to gigs. I'm just looking forward to like, a kind of normal life. Don't get me wrong, the lockdown hasn't been bad for me because I'm lucky to have a garden and I'm lucky to be able to go out and think, but to see your friends again and yeah. see the people you love, you know, to give someone a cuddle, to go, yep. "Right, mate, how you know, that is kind of it's a basic human need and a basic human right that we can't live without. And it's been a long time, like I say, we're approaching a year now. I just looked a bit, I say, do you want to go for a pint, mate, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. 100% or come around and yeah. sit in the garden have a barbecue or something like that. It'd be, uh, it'd be
1: awesome. That's a, that's a dead set. That's happening. This yeah, year. yeah.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah, I'm really looking forward to that as well. Really looking forward to getting back into a rehearsal room with you and the guys. Really looking forward to... Getting that gig with Janice Stark and all that in the bag, finally, after a year. I
1: think it's August the 21st or the 25th.
0: Fingers crossed. And also a new album by Sham69 as well. Thank you so much for taking the time out, even though there's been internet connection issues, microphone issues. We got through it. We got (laughs) to the end.
1: (laughs) You're going to have to edit that to fuck though, are not you?
0: I fucking will am.
1: (laughs) All right, mate, you take care.
0: This has been absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much for coming on, Paul. And um, I suppose the other thing, the last thing, where can people find you on the internet and stuff? Uh, You know, Swamp Stomper, um, uh, Sham69, all the rest of it.
1: Type in Sham69, you'll find the official page. And look for Swamp Stomper on Facebook, because they're one shit-up band, and they're coming out to get you in 2021
0: nice one nice one Paul right, thanks mate. a lot mate Peace. take care Peace.
1: take care. bye bye cheers bye. mate bye bye
0: there you have it Paul's a lovely fella and I'd like to thank him once again for giving up his time to talk with me I'm also very lucky to play bass with him in Swamp Stomper next to two other fine human beings guitar virtuoso Kev Hammond and Ian Allison the best drummer I've ever had the pleasure of playing in a band with it's a shame we couldn't get deep into the differences between the official Sham 69 and the original lineup version, but Paul made it clear he couldn't talk to me about it on the podcast. Who knows? Perhaps one day I'll get to talk to Tim V or Jimmy Percy, and we'll see if they want to shed any more light on the subject. Once again, you can find Swamp Stomper on Facebook.com/swampstomping and ReverbNation.com/swampstomper. And you can find Sham69 at officialsham69.com, officialsham69 on Twitter and Instagram, and at sham69-timv on Facebook. Like you, I'm looking forward to seeing what the new album, or albums, sound like, and can't wait to get out to see them at a show live as soon as we can do so safely. Finally, thank you for listening. I really do appreciate each and every listen I get, and I hope that you enjoy listening as much as I enjoy making the podcast. Catch you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Band Biographies. If you enjoyed it, please don't forget to leave a five star review on Apple Podcasts or whatever service you use to listen to your podcasts. Please do reach out on Twitter at BandBiogs instagram at band biographies search on facebook for band biographies or by emailing band biographies at gmail.com see you next time